So hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to Out of the Stillness. Oh, yeah, Barbara, thank you. Barbara says, hi, Regina, I love your DAO. Uh, I heard that on the recording the other night. Thank you very much. And thanks for saying that, or I would have forgot to mention to everyone. <laughs> if you haven't heard yet, uh, my translation of the Tao Te Ching has been published. It is on Amazon.com. And you can find it if you search for Tao Te Ching Regina Don Acres. It'll come up. Uh, when you look at the cover, the cover doesn't have my name on it. The cover has Lao Tzu's name on it. Uh, the reason for that is Lao Tzu is by tradition, the author, nobody actually knows for sure, but by tradition, he is the author. And that is um, you know, who publishers give the, the right to, to be listed as the author. Um, so he is listed as the author. And so his name is on the cover. And then, um, uh, but but since I'm listed as the translator, you can search for Tao Te Ching, Regina Don Acres, and, and it will pop up. You know, there are dozens of versions of the Tao Te Ching. So if you don't type in my name, you may have trouble finding it. And I have it on Kindle. Uh, I also ordered the paperback book, but I ordered it at the author price, which is cheaper and it's taking forever to get here. Lots of people have already received theirs because they paid the full price for the paperback. I think that's $14.99. I paid like $3.73 and, and they're putting mine on the back burner. <laughs> uh, but I do have it on Kindle and I did start contemplating it. I think it was last week. Um you know, so I, you know, it's it, it's translated and now I'm contemplating the translation and I'm contemplating it very slowly. In fact, as I mentioned, it's been about a week now and I'm still on chapter two uh, and that's daily contemplation. So um, I'm looking at it very, very deeply uh, and, and really enjoying it. But we are here for seven steps to awake. You know, thanks, Sean. I just got your text. Um. And we are going to be starting on number 271. Number 271. And I will read number 271 from the seven steps to awakening first. This is Nizargadatta Maharaj. And it's nice, you know, Nizargadatta is short and concise and easy. You know, sometimes the Muru Ganar I had to read a few times and still wasn't sure if you were just listening, if you were able to get it because his language is kind of complicated. I don't think we'll have that problem with Nizargadatta. His language is very simple. So here's what Nizargadatta says. What do you know of me? When even my talk with you is in your world only. That's interesting. You know, and if you've ever seen Nizargadatta, you know, sometimes he had this really angry attitude about him. I can almost see him saying this angrily, but it doesn't mean that he did. It's just <laughs> he often seemed to have that attitude about him, right? What do you know of me when even my talk with you is in your world only? So I'm going to read from Out of the Stillness. Um, this is what I wrote after contemplating that. <laughs> the mind colors everything so that nothing is seen purely through the mind. It's important to remember this. 
the mind colors everything so that nothing is seen purely through the mind. It's important to remember this. It's kind of funny because I mentioned to you all that I am contemplating uh, the RDA translation of the Tao Te Ching. And I mentioned that I have not gotten past chapter two. And this, the funny thing is, this is exactly why. Um, chapter two of the Tao Te Ching. Well, let me just open it up and read it to you real quick, or at least the top part of it. We don't need to read all of it, but let me read to you what I'm contemplating and what that has to do with this. Uh, chapter two of the Tao Te Ching opens up with, when the whole world defines the beautiful as beautiful, other things are seen as ugly. This can be harmful. When everyone defines good as good, other things are judged as bad. This can be bad. And I'm spending a, a, a lot of time right there with just that part of chapter two. And really what this is saying is that the mind colors what you see. Uh, one of the things that I've been doing is just kind of brainstorming with myself and listing all the ideas of good and all the ideas of bad that I can come up with that not everyone agrees with. And the list is pretty friggin' amazing. Um, you know, for example, I mean, we have the obvious examples that came out first were things like uh, abortion rights, uh, the right to bear arms, um, you know, not uh, sex outside of marriage, right? Some people see that as bad. Some people see that as real good. <laughs> um, things like homosexuality and transgender. Um, you know, it, it, I think it started primarily with things that are more in the news today. Uh, but the list continued and continued and continued. And, and uh, what became very, very clear as I looked at this list, and I'm sure it can still continue, um, is that good and bad are relative. They're completely relative to the point of view. You know, if you are born, uh, in a particular race, in a particular time, in a, you know, taught a particular religion, taught uh, a particular political way of thinking, your ideas of good and bad are based on all of that. And literally, if you had been born a different race, a different time, to a different family, your ideas of good and bad could be completely the opposite you know like if we consider just a, a, a common U.S. Um, idea you know women wear shorts lots of women wear crop tops uh, bikinis even nowadays thong bikinis right now think about um, you know the Muslim point of view uh, 
the, especially the fundamental Muslim point of view where a woman shouldn't show any more than her eyes. And in fact, if she does so, that is called bad. You see, that is called bad. And she can be uh, punished uh, depending on how far it went. She could even be put to death. So what this particular thing says is, uh, let me head back to out of the stillness now. But this particular journal entry is saying is that the mind colors everything. The mind colors everything so that nothing is seen purely through the mind. It's important to remember this. <laughs> I'm speechless. Open my mouth and no words come out. I mean, if you had been with me in these last few days, contemplating ideas of beautiful and ugly and contemplating ideas of good and bad and seeing how meaningless those ideas are in an absolute way. I mean, they're only relative, right? They have no absolute meaning at all. Then you would realize how polluted we each are. I mean, we're polluted. There's just no other way to describe it. Just because we see through our conditioning. And yet, again, we all know this, we've talked about it, you know, dozens upon dozens upon dozens of times. <laughs> uh, every human thinks they're right about most of what they think. I mean, there may be a few things they question, but every human thinks they're right about most of what they think. So our we are completely polluted, and yet we think we're right. It's no wonder there's conflict in our world. Hey, Allie, welcome. It's no wonder there's conflict in our world. Uh, so, you know, Nizar Gadada is saying, what do you know of me? Right? What do you know of me? Now, presumably, and here we have to do some presuming because we don't have very many words to go on here. Presumably, he is saying, my way of seeing is something you cannot understand because you see through your limited mind. You know, maybe uh, depending on who this person was, let's just make up a story because we don't have the story around it. But I know that there are lots of Hindus who see eating meat as bad, right? You know, maybe this person is saying something like, how can you, a holy man, eat meat? How can you, a holy man, <laughs> smoke cigarettes? How can you, a holy man, speak so angrily? How can you, a holy man, even be married? You know, according to my way of thinking, you're not even supposed to be married, right? If, depending on the Hindu that I am. And he's saying, what do you know of me? When even my talk with you is in your world only, you can only see from your limited point of view. And you have no idea, you haven't even begun to fathom yet how friggin' limited that is. And maybe this is why I'm just sitting here with this first part of chapter two of the Tao Te Ching is because what's happening as I'm sitting there with it is I'm becoming more and more and more aware of how limited a point of view is. And that's what this is saying. 
the mind colors everything so that nothing is seen purely through the mind. It's important to remember this. That's like saying it's important to remember you aren't right. It's important to remember you aren't right. If, if we are able to remember that we aren't right, think of all the conflicts we would not have, right? So I'm gonna move on to um, number 274. And uh, Lynn is making another great point. So I'm gonna go ahead and read it. He says, nothing can be perceived purely through the senses. And that is true as well. Yeah, that is true as well. Uh, in fact, it's fair to say, um, nothing can be perceived purely through the brain. You know, another thing that I have contemplated is how if I had a dog's brain, how I would see the world so differently. You know, I, I walk with my dog every day, twice a day, and I can see her interest and my interest. And they're not the same. You know, her interest has so much to do with the nose, right? <laughs> my interest has nothing to do with the nose. My interest is all about the eyes, <laughs> you know, uh, and the mind, whatever thoughts are going on at the time. Um, so we are even limited in how we see, not just because the brain is conditioned, but because the brain is human. We see from a human perspective. In fact, I was telling Shauna um, a couple weeks ago, I, uh, I actually, I just finished watching 1883 and I, I loved it. I really loved it. I just thought that was such a brilliant show. Uh, even the scenes where there were violence, you know, like there's this one scene where her boyfriend is killed and she's crying and she's laying on them and he's got blood coming out of his mouth. If you know how to look, if you know how to look at film, you know, I used to study film. That is, it's so friggin' beautiful the way they did it. It's almost like a piece of art, like just that one scene, you know, the, the colors and, and it's, it's just, I just loved 1883. I loved everything about it. I loved the script. I love the acting. I love the, you know, the filming. I just thought it was brilliant. And I intend to watch it again, <laughs> but that's an aside. <laughs> um, I was telling Shauna that there's, that, you know, she usually opened, that usually opens the, the show each time with her talking and ends the show with her talking. And a lot of what she says is actually quite enlightened. And one time she was musing about how some things in the earth are dangerous to humans. For example, rattlesnakes, you know, someone in the show was bit by a rattlesnake and killed. And, and she's like, you know, it's kind of like when I die, she said something like this, when I die, the first thing I'm going to do is ask God, you know, why he created things that can hurt us. And then right after that, she says, but then I realized he didn't create the earth for us. That's, that's brilliant. Because what that means is she popped out of the human point of view, right? To a human, the world is about humans, right? Uh, rattlesnakes are not supposed to be poisonous to me because I'm a human. Well, what about from that rattlesnake's point of view? 
it needs a defense from its point of view, right? You know, the world isn't even about humans. And, and, and we forget that. So just having a human brain is a limited way of seeing, right? So, um, so yeah, we are very, very limited. And it's important to remember that. If we remember how limited we are, we can be a lot more humble not quite so sure about things, right? Not quite so sure about things. And in fact, there's, in my humble opinion, there's nothing more brilliant than an I don't know mind. And the reason I say that is because when you have a genuine, open, I don't know mind, you're happy. <laughs> it's amazing. You're at peace right? It's funny how the I know mind blocks that. I mean, sometimes the I know mind is happy when everything's going well, according to the I know mind's ideas, but it's certainly lots of other times is not happy when things are not going the way the I know mind thinks it should go, right? But the I don't know mind doesn't have these ideas. The I don't know mind doesn't have these limits, it doesn't have the relative beautiful and ugly. It doesn't have the relative good and bad. Therefore, things can be as things are, and the I don't know mind doesn't know, right? And so it's happy. It's not upset by how things are. So I don't know mind is, is beautiful. Um, to me, that's what's represented by the song, the Beatles song, The Fool on the Hill right? It's how beautiful the I don't know mind is. All right, so uh, we're moving to 274 next. Hmm. Nizargadatta says, however long a life may be, it is but a moment and a dream. However long a life may be, it is but a moment and a dream. And I wrote, release the tendency to cling to body life as true life. This goes for the body life that appears to be me and the body life that appears to be others. There is something else to see, something beyond the body, something without end. Okay, I'm going to tell you guys a secret. It's not really a secret. It's just I don't think I've said this out loud to anyone but Jacqueline. Maybe I said it to David Hempel. Um, right now, I don't have a direct intention to quit teaching. But um, I see the possibility that it will happen. And the reason the possibility is here is there's something in me that's beginning to not want to talk anymore about the teachings. And how can you teach if you're not going to talk anymore about the teachings? There's something that it's starting to feel like... Um, <laughs> 
I don't know how to say this. I don't want, you know, it's hard sometimes. Maybe this is an example. It's hard sometimes to say things because you know people are not going to be able to fully understand what you're saying. To some degree, it's going to be misinterpreted. It kind of goes back to Nizar Gadada's last quote, you know, what do you know of me? Right? <laughs> you're sitting there with your point of view. What do you know of me? Um, but it's almost like if there was something I could say about this, I've already said it a million times. And there's nothing else I can say about it. And somehow now trying to say something about it, it feels like it's cheapening it or weakening it. Like it's just better to be quiet with it. That's how I'm beginning to feel. And it it, it happened at the last retreat. Um, you know, I just... It's almost like I felt this teaching energy, which has been here for years and years and years, like I just felt, felt it kind of diminishing, you know, like the, what, whatever was there that was holding up the teaching was kind of going away. And so what happens is I look at this and I, and, and, and I, and I instantly see things I can say, and at the exact same time, I don't want to say any of them. Isn't that interesting? like I you know I just <laughs> so we'll see what happens but let me read this again but it's you know this is so beyond words I can't it's it's getting harder for me to put words to it that's another way of saying it and again any words I could put to it I already have dozens of times dozens of times so release the tendency to cling to body life as true life. This goes for the body life that appears to be me and the body lives that appear to be others. There is something else to see, something beyond the body, something without end. Now, as Len mentioned a while ago, you know, nothing can be seen purely through the senses. And, you know, what this is talking about, we can't actually see, you know, that's another thing about words, they, they suck, you know, we can't actually see it. It's more of an intuitive scene, it's a knowing, right, it's, it's that, it's an intuitive scene. But it's the intuitive scene of... the constancy that is beyond the temporary. You know, like, here I go. See, this is, this, I'm getting tired. Here I go, saying it the same way I've always said it before, because how else am I going to say it? But, um, you know, like when my dog died, Jamie. You know, my dog died, and I loved that little form. <laughs> and there were some tears, you know, I mean, sweet tears. I didn't go into, uh, um, you know, a, a desperate mourning. I mean, it was just sweet tears, right? sweet tears. Um, but after, after I took her to the vet and had her put down, uh, I went for a walk, which is what she and I would have done. And so I just went ahead and did it. So we would have done. So I did it. And when I was walking, it was just so obvious to me that life had not changed a bit. I mean, the fact that my dog was dead 
did not take anything out of life. Not anything. You know, it's like when someone or something, when some form ends, it doesn't cut a little hole out of life and leave a hole there. It might in our personal minds and our personal hearts, but it doesn't in life. And it was just so obvious to me. It was just so obvious to me that nothing at all had changed. That seeing essence, right? And see what, what typically happens is we cling to the body life. So we focus on, you know, we'll use Jamie now as an example, my, my dog. We focus on Jamie as, as life. And then when Jamie dies, we say, there's death. <laughs> we say there's death. And we're not looking at where the heck is the death. Where is it? Can you point at it? There's no death. A temporary form ended, but death is not a thing. Only life is a thing. And even that's not true because it's not a thing, but you get my point. There's no such thing as absence of life. There's only life. And then within life, forms come and they go, right? But the life itself doesn't ever go. So that's what this is saying. Release the tendency to cling to body life as true life. Release the tendency to cling to my dog, that, you know, Jamie, that form is, is a life. My mom, that person is a life. You know, release that tendency. This goes for the body life that appears to be me and the body lives that appear to be others. There is something else to see, something beyond the body, something without end. And Len, what is it you would like to share? Well, I'm just what you had said before you just did this quote about what's happening with you and teaching. Because I had an image come into mind and it seems simplistic, but I'll share it with you and there doesn't even need to be a comment. I saw a rocket taking off from the ground and that was you back in 2000 and whatever. And as you got higher, the first stage dropped away because its job was done to go to the end of it. Well, maybe where you're at is another, the last stage of a rocket maybe, or another stage of the rocket falling away because its job is done. And maybe the payload is just beyond gravity. Wouldn't that be something? Yeah, thank you, thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Well, it's kind of funny too, because I, you know, again, I, I, I don't have what I would call guidance stock now. It's more like I'm watching this, the air come out of this, balloon <laughs> you know um but at the same time i'm getting these emails it's really hilarious from people i've never heard of that are writing and saying you don't know me but you know i've been listening to you for seven years or 14 years or whatever and i just want to write and say thank you i'm getting these thank yous <laughs> at the same time isn't that amazing from people i've never even heard of so it's kind of funny to watch it all happen we'll see what happens together
Oh, but I do want to say, let's see, Sina, can you pay attention for a second? I mean, you might be the whole time, but just in case you're working, uh, I can't be here next week because next week I have a guest coming and I have to go pick him up at the airport. So next Wednesday, I'm not here. And that I'm glad that we thought to say that out loud. All right, so 274, I'll read it again. Nizar Gadada said, however long a life may be, it is but a moment and a dream. You know, he's pointing to it's the temporariness. It's not the real life, the true life, the life itself, right? It's just, that's not what it is. It's a temporary manifestation. However long a life may be, it is but a moment and a dream. And then as I contemplated that, I wrote, Release the tendency to cling to body life as true life. This goes for the body life that appears to be me and the body lives that appear to be others. There is something else to see, something beyond the body, something without end, right? Look for that. And again, you can't see it with the eyes. But, but again, can you find a place where there is no life? Can you find that place? Right? Even if you're looking at, you know, like this morning we saw a dead baby bird on the, on the, on the ground. I can't say there was no life anywhere. I mean, even de, you know, decomposing, isn't that some kind of a, a life that's doing that, Right? You know, and certainly there was life everywhere around it. I was life looking at the dead bird. My dog was life wanting to eat the dead bird. I was life pulling my dog away from the dead bird. <laughs> right? Right? You can't find a place where there isn't life. Look at it that way. So what's constant? What is it that isn't hidden? What is it that's everywhere? What is it that's obvious? Let's move on to 277. My dog is so interested. She's over there snoring up a storm. <laughs> she wanted to be in the same room as me, of course. Okay, so 277, this is a little longer. Uh, Nizargadatta Maharaj. Within the prison of your world appears a man who tells you that the world of painful contradictions which you have created is neither continuous nor permanent and is based on misapprehension. He pleads with you to get out of it by the same way which you got into it. You got into it by forgetting what you are, and you will get out of it by knowing yourself as you are. So it's interesting because um, I know this also. I know that uh, a teacher can explain very clearly what the problem is that causes suffering. You know, for example, 
you know, we talked just a little bit ago about how relative ideas of of beauty and ugly are, how relative good and bad is, how uh, if we weren't born right when we were born exactly in this form and raised right how we were raised, we wouldn't even see good and bad and beautiful and ugly in the same way. You know, we talked about how, you know, that's very relative, that's very limited. Um, and, and that, of course, is the cause of our suffering. And yet, everyone hears that type of teaching and everyone shakes their head and walks away and within an hour thinks they're right in some situation and is feeling conflict again, right? That's what Nizargadatta is referring to here. He says, within the prison of your world appears a man who tells you that the world of painful contradictions which you have created is neither continuous nor permanent and is based on misapprehension. He pleads with you to get out of it by the same way which you got into it. You got into it by forgetting what you are and you will get out of it by knowing yourself as you are. Right. So, of course, Nizargadatta, you know, wants us to focus on the I am presence and realize ourselves as the I am presence and then continue to focus on the I am presence until we go beyond it. How long did it take me to say that? Somebody time me. Who, who wants to time me? I'm going to be Nizargadatta. Who, who can time me? Do I have a volunteer? No volunteers? Okay, Shauna. Shauna, time me. Okay. Tell me how long it took me to say this when I'm done. Here's how you awaken and free yourself from suffering. Spend as much time as you can focusing on the I am presence. What will eventually happen is you will awaken to the I am presence. However, don't stop. Continue to focus on the I am presence. And at some point that will take you beyond. Okay, how long did that take? 24 seconds, not even 30 seconds. You know, he, he's saying, yeah, I've told you, I've told you, you know, all these people keep coming into my loft because, you know, people are day after day coming to my loft. He said, I've told you, I've told you, you come here, you sit here, you ask me the same questions every day. You know, <laughs> I've given my answer, right? This is what he's saying. I've told you. So let me read what he says again, and then we'll see what happens when I contemplated this. Within the prison of your world appears a man who tells you that the world of painful contradictions which you have created is neither continuous nor permanent and is based on a misapprehension. He pleads with you to get out of it by the same way which you got into it. You got into it by forgetting what you are and you will get out of it by knowing yourself as you are. And you know, this is really funny when you consider that, that Nizargadatta wasn't like everyone else, right? Nizargadatta's teacher told him this in you know, 24 seconds or however long it took. Nizargadatta never even saw his teacher again. <laughs> he never even went back to the guy and then the guy dies, right? His teacher says this, Nizargadatta says, okay. <laughs> And he did it. How different is he from the majority of us, right? <laughs> so, you know, he's like, 
this is all you have to do. It's all I did. It's all you have to do. You know, why are we talking about all of these other things? I mean, you can see how, how, how that probably appeared to him. It might have appeared as if nobody else really wanted it. Right. If they wanted it like he wanted it, you know, he's already given them everything they need. But let's see what happened when I contemplated this. So going to out of the stillness. Why must one release the tendency to cling to body life as true life? Because this misunderstanding regarding what you are and regarding what is true is the only cause of suffering. Likewise, the one answer that ends all suffering forever is the joyous remembrance of what you are. Well, likewise, that's not very deep. It's just kind of saying the same thing that, that he said. Um, what I see in this that isn't directly written in this, what I see in this is that our pri primary problem is um, taking ourselves too seriously. And almost everything I say now I hear in the Tao because, you know, I've been immersed in the Tao. Uh, so I keep seeing these sentences in the Tao as I speak. But there's this one chapter in the Tao Te Ching where Lao Tzu talks about how we fear disgrace. And we fear, uh, I forget the exact words now, but like a high position. Uh, but the greatest problem is overvaluing the personal self, right? That's how he starts off. And then he talks about how the reason that we, he says, why did I say we fear both disgrace and I can't, again, I can't, I wish I could remember my own translation word for word, but I can't. But why do I say that we fear both disgrace and high position? Well, we're in a high position. You know, we're afraid we're going to fall in disgrace. So we fear the high and we fear the low. And then he says, why do I say that the real trouble is overvaluing the personal self. And he says, what trouble would there be if we didn't see ourselves as the personal self, right? Like that's, that's the only problem. If I, if I didn't take me, my ideas, my values, my point of view, what I want, if I didn't take all that so seriously, what kind of a problem could I have? Wouldn't I just be flowing with whatever is? The only problem I ever have is taking me, who I think I am, me, this conditioning, too seriously. That's the actual only problem that I ever have. And, you know, this is what Nizargadatta is saying. He's saying, you know, get out of it the same way you got into it. You got into this problem by forgetting what you are. You'll get out of it by knowing who you are, right? And who you are is not that personal self. Who you are is not that conditioning. Who you are is not, you know, the ideas of good and bad, beautiful and ugly, what I want and don't want, how things should be and how they shouldn't be and all that other mental stuff. And again, it's not difficult to see. You know, that's the funny thing. It's not difficult to see because every one of us, we're all old enough to look at whatever our current opinions are 
And at least some of them say, yeah, I didn't feel that way when I was 20. Or yeah, I didn't feel that way when I was 10. You know, like I know there's no way this opinion can be me <laughs> because I know that I was and it wasn't, right? So why am I getting so upset watching the news? You know, why, why do whatever my opinions of Trump are, you know, whether I love him or whether I don't like him, you know, probably watching the news, I can get upset either side right now. Would you agree? So why is, why am I so upset about this person, Trump and what's happening with this person, Trump when, let's see, did I know him when I was 24? Like, <laughs> does that have anything to do with me? And if not, does it have anything to do with me now? You know, or is it just, are these points of view, just some ideas I've cling to for some reason. And now it's causing me all this upset. You know, and does it make any sense? Doesn't make any sense. You know, I talked to you all several weeks ago about an insight that I had. And the insight was that anything that is not right here, right now in my present experience is only in my mind. It's a thought. You know, this is what um, Donald Trump is for every one of us. It's a thought, which is why we can see Donald Trump from different points of view. It's a thought. Jesus is a thought, right? I mean, anything that you can think of that is not here right now, my own daughter, Jasmine, right this second, is nothing but a thought. She's not here. I don't know where she is. I don't know how she's feeling. I don't know what she's doing. What I have is a memory, which is a thought. And then I have personal opinions about that memory, which are thoughts. If we could leave the thought world behind, the way we usually refer to that is be in the moment. They're the same thing. If we could leave the thought world behind, do you have any idea how much happier we would each be? I mean, we are carrying around these burdens that nobody asked us to carry around. What if we just be with what's here now and forget the rest? When it shows up, you know, when Jasmine shows up, she gets my attention. She's here. She's in my present, right? Whatever she's saying, I listen to, I pay attention to, right? But when she's not here, when I'm with you, I pay attention to you. When this is done, I have some HOA work to do. I'll pay attention to my HOA work. But I don't need to be thinking about my HOA work now, do I? I don't need to be thinking about Jasmine now. I don't need to be thinking about Donald Trump probably ever. You know, I, yeah, I mean, maybe someday there'll be a reason that he'll be right here in my here and now, but so far he never has been. I've never met the man. 
I haven't even been to his ice cream parlor. Um, did you know he had an ice cream parlor? It's inside Trump Towers. It's the only time, only reason I was tempted to walk inside Trump Towers once is I saw the sign ice cream parlor. <laughs> but we were on our way somewhere else. Um, so within the prison of your world appears a man who tells you that the world of painful contradictions which you have created it's thoughts that you're carrying around in your head worrying about stuff that's not even here you know you're you know i'm pretending again to be even as Argadot and i'm making this up but you're sitting here asking me about you know how you can be happy with all of this work pressure where's your job i don't see your job here right now you know where is it I don't see it here right now. This is you're carrying this around in your head, right? Within the prison of your world appears a man who tells you that the world of painful contradictions which you have created is neither continuous nor permanent and is based on a misapprehension. He pleads with you to get out of it by the same way which you got into it. You got into it by forgetting what you are you will get out of it by knowing yourself as you are. And this is the power of, of meditation. Because I'm assuming meditation is the same for all of you as it is for me. Is all that stuff still comes up in meditation, right? But what do we learn to do in meditation? Not pay attention to it. That's what we learn to do is not pay attention to it. And then... When we learn how to not pay attention to it, we, you know, and of course, we're also paying attention to this constancy here. When we learn how to not pay attention to it, at some point, we find that we're walking around. This is called being in the world, but not of the world. We're walking around and all this stuff is going on and we're not paying attention to it. And we're happy. We know our role. We perform, perform our little part and we just let everything else go because it's not our role. It's not our little part. It belongs to someone else. You know, I haven't listened to Byron Katie much, but I have heard her say this too, right? We, we have our own little part that we each are here to play and we'll know when it's our part and we need to give that our full attention, right? We don't blow off our part. We give that our full intention. You know, we, we, we do our best with it, but everything else we let go of. And again, I wrote, why must one release the tendency to cling to body life as true life? Because this misunderstanding regarding what you are and regarding what is true is the only cause of suffering. Likewise, the one answer that ends all suffering forever is the joyous remembrance of what you are. So if we could just not overvalue the personal self, it, it has a place. It has little jobs to do, right? It's a temporary manifestation, and it can even be kind of fun if you learn to laugh at yourself but we don't need to overvalue it. 
We don't need to see it as more than what it is. That takes us to 280. <laughs> Nizar words are very short. Nizar says, in my world, nothing happens. <laughs> that reminds me of a, of a Talking Heads song. The Talking Heads song. I think it's something like, uh, in heaven, nothing ever happens in heaven or something like that. I don't remember exactly, but in my world, nothing happens. That's the quote. So let's see what I contemplated. Perfect stability, oneness. Ongoing joy, recognition, presence. Ever being here now. This is reality. Thoughts distract from this. Do not listen to thoughts. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you one thing that the Tao Te Ching has done for me, which is really sweet because, you know, everything has a purpose, right? You know, I mean, it's great that I translated the Tao Te Ching and it's great that, um, that you know, other people may get something out of it. But you, you all know that if I was asked to, to translate the Tao Te Ching, it had something to do with me, right? <laughs> Otherwise, I wouldn't have been asked to translate it. So uh, what the Tao Te Ching did for me was it allowed me to bring my humanness back in. It's like for years, what I have been doing in order to awaken uh, is letting go of the personal self, letting go of self-will, letting go of values, you know, letting go, letting go, letting go, letting go. And all of that had to happen. But with the Tao Te Ching, what happened is it's kind of like brought back the part of Regina that has purpose or value. I don't know what word to put on it, but um, see, I'm looking for other words. For example, <laughs> I'm stalling now. Um, I mentioned a moment ago that the every, you know, we could say every self, every person has jobs to do, right? There isn't one alive that doesn't. Every self, every person has jobs to do. And as we go through life, there are experiences we have that actually prepare us for future jobs. I'm sure you guys have noticed that. You've come along, you're like, oh boy, if I hadn't done this years ago, I wouldn't be able to do this, <laughs> right? Like, so there are things that are happening that are, that are all, you know, they're all things you're supposed to do and they all fit together. That part has come back and is being appreciated for what it is without returning to overvaluing the self. It's like, ah, the ability to manage finances. This is something Regina's pretty good at. Ah, the ability to, um, you know, look at these Chinese characters and based on, you know, I was an Asian studies major. I don't know if you guys know that. I learned a little bit about the Chinese mind and how it thinks. And, you know, when I was translating those characters, a lot of that education started popping up again. Things I haven't even thought about in years, right? Not in years. Didn't even know I remembered. It was like appreciating how the humanness has a role. So it was kind of like for a while, there was this letting go, letting go, letting go. And now it's saying, ah, but this part, this is, you know, it's, it's appreciating the humanness without being identified with it. Isn't that interesting? 
That's a part of what the Tao Te Ching did for me. So why did I say that? Let me read this again. Perfect stability, oneness, ongoing joy, recognition, presence, ever being here now. This is reality. Thoughts distract from this. Do not listen to thoughts. Oh, I was laughing at that. Do not listen to thoughts. Because at one time that was very important for me. And it might still be very important for you. Because so many of those thoughts were polluted. <laughs> you know? But now I'm seeing the benefit of the mind. The benefit of the human mind and its ability to learn things and its ability to use those things. It's like it's it's like it's come back in in a different way. Um, you know, when I was translating the Tao Te Ching, there were really two things that influenced this. One was I was, you know, to the best of my ability, which was still quite limited because I don't know Mandarin Chinese, <laughs> but I was, I was looking at characters. I was looking at the dictionary. I was looking at my experience of awakening. I was looking at everything and I was making decisions on how to translate it. Could I do that without a human mind? No. But also when you read Lao Tzu, when you read what he spoke about, he doesn't speak about enlightenment in the way that a lot of non-dual people do. There's a lot of influence on not being the doer, right? And I think that influence on not being the doer, I think somehow that discounts the human participation. He's more focused on balance. He's more focused on knowing when you're overvaluing the self, knowing when you're bringing too much thinking into it, knowing when you're bringing too much personal into it, right? And emptying all that out, right? Empty, empty, empty. He says, we need much more empty. But at the same time, when you have a job to do, pay attention to it, right? So he like has that balance between the human nature that that has a job to do and the ego, which really isn't necessary. He has that balance. And so, of course, when I'm translating, I'm looking at that balance over and over again, and I'm using the human brain to do the translating. And somehow through that six to eight weeks of work, it like brought this appreciation in, in a way that I genuinely wasn't experiencing it before. So now when I read, do not listen to thoughts, I understand, I understand it, but I laugh because I have a new appreciation for the human brain, the human mind, the way it works, right? So it's a little different for me now. It's kind of reminding me of Mowgli in the Jungle Book because, you know, Mowgli helped the animals solve lots of problems that they couldn't solve because he had the human brain, right? And in fact, it also reminds me of Genesis, you know, which I, I'll be honest, is, I think is just a story, but <laughs> I know some people believe it is truth. Uh, maybe parts of it are truth, actually. There are probably some things in Genesis that actually happened, uh, to be honest, it's historical, and probably some things in Genesis that are more legend. I think it's a mixture. Uh, but the very beginning of Genesis, the Adam and Eve part, I think that's more legend. Uh, but when when God created the world, 
and he created Adam and then, of course, created Eve, he gave them a job to do. They were to take care of the earth and take care of the animals. Right? Can you think of another creature on our planet that could be given that job? The human brain is what's necessary to take care of things in the way that a human can. Now, don't get me wrong. We haven't been doing that as a whole. <laughs> We've been too selfish. We've been too overvaluing the self. But doesn't our brain have that capability? Right? And with that, I feel done. My words just stopped. We have two minutes left. Does anybody want to say anything? Lynn, did I see your hand or no? Yeah, go ahead. This is just me. I guess I'm stuck on it. I, I put a, a comment in the in the chat about who created the cosmos and the world. And you know, I'm a student of A Course in Miracles, among other things, but I really like the idea that God didn't create any of this. He doesn't even know we're here. You know, we're at home dreaming of exile. And I like the idea that the ego created this place because I see evidence of it everywhere. So anyway, I just wanted to get it out. So. Yeah, that's fine. And, and you know, it's so funny because I still use the word God because I still use words. <laughs> but, you know, once upon a time, I had a lot stronger concept about what God was. Now, if somebody was to ask me, what is God? The only answer I could give that might point in the right direction is it's the natural order of things, mm -hmm. right? It's the natural order of things. Yeah. So reality. Yeah. Reality. Yeah. It's, it's kind of interesting. So, um, you know, all of this stuff, as I said, maybe, you know, it gets harder and harder and harder to talk about because there are fewer and fewer concepts that have any meaning. Right, right. I, I just see that that rock at the end of the rocket ship, the payload having no attachments of any kind. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. All right, thank you. And Shauna, I will get to my HOA work next. <laughs> I love you all, bye.